0: What's going on, guys? Welcome back to WrestleRamp Radio for Thursday, July 27, 2023. I am Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well and having a great week so far. It's one of those rare instances where I'll be flying solo here today. Mr. so busy with work stuff. He's going to be working like a dog for the next week as we're headed to SummerSlam to Detroit next week, leaving on Thursday, coming back on Sunday. We will be there on Friday, Thursday night, Saturday, obviously, for the show itself, flying back out on Sunday. So um, that is the original plan, the initial plan as of now, the tentative plan, I don't think that's going to be changing, but since we're going to be flying on Thursday pretty much all day, we're going to be doing the show a lot like last year for SummerSlam weekend probably either on Saturday itself, if not on Friday, hopefully on Friday, because Saturday can be reserved for SummerSlam activities, um, and I'm looking forward to recording the show live in person with Mr. Marceau in Detroit, taking the show back on the road for next week and breaking down everything that is SummerSlam, the stack card on tap, we're looking forward to that show, but for today anyway, that's next week a little bit later show than usual, coming out on either Friday or Saturday of next week. But as far as today goes, we're going to be breaking down Raw from Monday. We're going to be breaking down Dynamite from Wednesday. Spoiler alert, not as good of shows as last week. I did enjoy Raw more from last week, as well as Dynamite from last Wednesday. I was at Dynamite last week with Alexis for the Blood and Gut show, but um, still, I thought this week's show was a solid show. We'll get into that as uh, as we progress here. And also predictions for NXT The Great American Bash coming up on Sunday night. Uh, looking forward to that show as well. Actually taking part in the Shawn Michaels conference call to promote the event, ask Shawn questions and whatnot, uh, in a little bit after I'm done recording here, so I'm looking forward to that. Before that, though, we're going to be airing my exclusive interview with heel star Stephen Amell, obviously the star of Arrow as well from many years ago. Actually, speaking of SummerSlam, he wrestled at SummerSlam 2015 alongside... I think it was Neville, actually, now Pac, obviously, um, taking on Cody Rhodes, then Stardust, then Wade Barrett, King Barrett at the time. But um, yeah, Stephen Amell of uh, WWE notoriety, AEW as well, who competed the first All-In five years ago. We're going to be airing my exclusive interview with him, uh, talking about the new season of Heels airing right now. But that being said, I do want to know, this interview was recorded pre-SAG-AFTRA strike. I mean, this strike has obviously been going on since May with the Writers Guild of America. Um, In the Hollywood labor disputes and whatnot, but SAG-AFTRA's involvement in that strike when they kind of stepped in on behalf of the Writers Guild of America, um, that didn't happen until just two weeks ago. This interview was recorded about a month ago. They're not doing any interviews right now. Actors are stars in entertainment, important to know. Um, Standing in solidarity, which is great to see, as part of this whole strike going on right now, and hopefully they get what they're looking for and they get what they deserve. Which sounds ominous, but I mean that in a positive way, obviously. So just a quick note, like as I mentioned, this did take place prior to the SAG-AFTRA strike, and uh, they're not really allowed to promote projects right now, which is probably why this press con or not press conference, this junk, it took place um, a month ago before the SAG-AFTRA strike kind of went into effect with their involvement and whatnot. Again, I probably mentioned during the interview, oh, you can check out the show currently airing on Heels. Just know that I'm not going out of my way to promote the show. We're just airing it now just due to the circumstance of Mr. Marceau not being on the show today. And uh, you can check out the show if you wish. Don't check it out. That's up to you. Not here to promote work and uh, kind of go against what they're currently trying to uh, kind of uh, stand for and the message they're trying to send with the strike. So enjoy my exclusive interview with Heels star Stephen Amell. All right, Graham Mermini here with BleachReport.com. Today we're talking season two of Heels coming up this summer. Super exciting stuff, and obviously one of the stars of the show, Stephen Amell, the face of the franchise, so to speak, heading into the second season of the show. Super excited to be talking here today, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing excellent, man. I'm looking forward to the second season of the show, especially for all the wrestling fans out there. I feel like now as we go further and you know years and years into this you know, wrestling, I feel like there's more and more wrestling shows out there, and Heels being one sure. of them especially for wrestling fans that haven't been wrestling fans in a long time or have never been wrestling fans, I feel like a show like this is a great representative of what the business is. Being a fan yourself, I'm sure you've talked about this before, talk a little bit about that and kind of changing the perception of what the business is and kind of bringing new eyes on the product, if that makes sense.
1: Well, I – yeah, yeah. there's certain things like from the 80s and the 90s and even the early aughts that I think people – just thought, well, that that's like that's like a, that's like a fringe activity. That's just a fringe thing that people do, right? Be it uh, comic book conventions or like you know, would you even call it like nerd culture or whatever? <laughs> yeah. And 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 wrestling's you know, wrestling's one of those things that that fell into that where it's like, oh no, no, that's a that's a that's a peripheral thing that you know certain people like. No, fuck that. The Met Gala is a peripheral thing that certain people like professional wrestling is a global industry that has fans everywhere in the world. And it just so happens that, you know, there are just certain people that kind of spoke down at it. Like, Oh yeah. Wrestling. Oh, isn't that for kids? Isn't that on Sunday morning? Isn't it fake? It's like, yeah. guys, So House of the dragon. Okay. Just enjoy it. Like people (laughs) enjoy it. And I think, I think what we do on the show pretty consistently is take someone who's not a fan, like, uh, like for example, uh, Stacy, my 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 wife Allison loves uh, her character, right? Like eh, she's not a huge wrestling fan per se, but she can appreciate that Jack works hard at it. And you know, when she brings uh, you know someone like Jen Lucier uh, later in the season, who doesn't know you know the, the 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 first thing about professional wrestling, but she might pop for one character, right? Let's in this case, Crystal, right? And that's all you need, right? you could have someone who's like, I don't get professional wrestling, but they think that the dad is hilarious. And then that character becomes a gateway in for them. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that wrestling is getting its due, but like, at the same time as someone that's been here from the beginning, um, I'm not too concerned with like changing hearts and minds when it comes to wrestling. Right. Like, If, if if you like it, great. If you don't, yeah. great. But 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 let's be specific. If you don't like it, okay, you don't have to tell me why you don't like it, okay. Just don't like it, like in in silence by yourself. I don't need the reason why you don't like it, okay. I don't like most of your shit, so I, I guarantee you. <laughs> and I don't t- and I don't talk about it.
0: No, that's a good attitude to have. I, I feel like, especially, I mean, that goes really with everything. I feel like people have to elaborate why we don't like something. If you don't like sure. it, it's not going to be for you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's like all
1: the New Yorkers that and then extol the virtues of New York, and you're like, okay, well then, why do you live in California?
0: Wow, well, you know, it's <laughs> like cool. Move back. We don't care. Fine, just go ahead. Where you go, we're good exactly i feel like we get a lot of that same sort of attitude as well in wrestling itself listen wrestling fans i as a wrestling fan myself obviously i feel like there are few people who dislike wrestling more than wrestling fans themselves at times depending on what we can see on the product that's just just the nature of the business you know um but talk about that as well yeah
1: what was that
0: we are we are masochists a little bit yeah that's true (laughs) yeah exactly i mean it goes it goes both ways but that being said as well you talk about kind of like the fan aspect and, you know, like I was mentioning, like bringing those new fans in and stuff like that. What about on the flip side, especially again, having relationships with wrestlers over the last couple of years, having a working relationship with WWE in the past, AEW, stuff like that. You know, your fair share amount of people in the business. Who have you heard from since the first season of the show that in a way you've kind of done wrestling justice and representing it as well as you have and everyone else on the show from the first season to now.
1: Okay. Some great people, right? I'm going to, I'm going to do some deep cuts here because you know, I have been to a bunch of AEW shows and WWE shows and um, obviously it was just recently at, at Mania and did the Royal Rumble and, and you know, caught up with a, with a bunch of friends. Um, but the three people who I've really, really, really enjoyed uh, getting some feedback from are the big show, Paul White. Uh, saw him at AEW Grand Slam when the first season was airing and, uh, and, and he, wanted, he wanted to talk about the show nonstop. Wow. Aaron Anderson. Arne Anderson pulled me aside and goes, how in the fuck did you hear about some of these stories? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I don't write the show. Like, it, are they real? Did they happen? He's like, oh boy, yeah, I'll tell you. And he and the last guy uh, was Sergeant Slaughter,
0: He's a huge fan of the show. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't even think that yeah. guy would watch television at this point, you know? I, and look, man. I mean, so
1: look, <laughs> he got to, you know, he got to, he told me all about the, you know we got to talk about the show and then I got to talk with him about the whole like warrior Hulk Hogan WrestleMania 7 purple belt mm-hmm. weird thing you know which is a story that he told me um but no they they seem to uh people people in the business uh seem seem to really dig it and and you know it's like it's like anything you know i think that that professional wrestlers so often have to you know, have to, have to be treated like, you know, they're, they're, they're the, they're the weird attraction at the circus. And, you know, they're just, they're, they're just working at their craft, like anybody else, trying to get better, like anybody else, trying to elicit a reaction from someone and entertain people just like everyone else. So the fact that, you know, we've written a show where we're just trying to show that these guys are just like hard working class people, like everyone else, is something that they all appreciate.
0: Is there anyone like you mentioned, Big Show, Arn Anderson? I mean, these are deep cuts. Like you said, Sergeant Slaughter. I mean, really anyone who isn't even a wrestling fan probably remember Sergeant Slaughter from his heyday sure. you know, 30 years ago, stuff like that. These are obviously top names in the business. Is there stuff, and obviously they love the show, like you said, is there stuff that they say that you incorporate into the second season of the show or advice that you take from them? Like, you know, this is something that we want to see represented, or this is something maybe it's a bit more realistic if you want to do it this way, or is it just like they just enjoy watching the show?
1: Um, no, no one's really, no one's really pointing, <laughs> no one's really pointing anything out. Um, uh, but we do try, there are, there are certain things that, that, that I've always tried to try to incorporate. Um, I, gosh, I think it might actually be in the, yeah, no, it's in the, in the, in the second season where I believe we have, um, uh, big Jim and rooster. And it's before the Memorial Show, and they're they're running through their match in the back, and that's always something that I've found really, really fascinating. you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'll never forget my 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 match at, at, at uh, you know at, at SummerSlam in, in 2015, you know, being back there, you know with Cody and Stu and Neville, and it's like going through the match. And it's this sort of shorthand and everyone's moving and people kind of like touching each other lightly. And it's like, we do this. Okay. Then I come in, bang, bang, bang. We go to the corner. And I had never seen that before as a wrestling fan. So I spoke with Michael Malley about that. And I'm like, we gotta work this into the show. And I and I think we see it in the early part of the second season where, where we got two guys that are, you know, about to go out and they're they're kind of they're they're going by the numbers, you know, with a referee there and uh i thought that was really cool you know doing that and um you know and we get into some promo stuff this year i mean chris bauer has got a great scene about you know craftsner promo and all these things so it's cool stuff
0: yeah no i think it's a cool it's a fascinating look behind the scenes that the show provides that i feel like especially sure. even wrestling fans like i said wrestling fans have seen it all from like all the shows and the documentaries and the dark side so to speak of the business but this kind of shines sure. a different light on it, especially for those yeah. that aren't familiar with the business, kind of gives you a newfound appreciation for wrestling, whether you're a fan already, yeah. haven't been a fan in a while, have never been a fan or whatever. To kind of go back to what you were saying before, some people may never like wrestling, but as long as they can sure. understand it more, that's yeah. kind of like the key, um, whether that's the goal or not with a show like this. But, you know, you talk about yeah. your first match from SummerSlam, which at this point, that's crazy. It was eight years ago. 2015, that's yeah. wild. And then you wrestle yeah. again a couple of years later, all in Christopher Daniels in Chicago. again. we're coming up on the five-year anniversary of that, which it feels yeah. like it was yesterday. I'm sure you feel the same, but...
1: It's not My <laughs> hip doesn't feel that way, but yes, I feel that
0: way. <laughs> well, talking about your hip, I mean, you come off a match like that and you do the two seasons of this show. Do you feel like, all right, this is something I would want to do again? Or you're like, all right, I kind of got out of my system and I'll just kind of yeah, work on, on this no. physical side.
1: No, because the... the um the what when I did it previously um you know so three matches so there's one in 20 it's one in 2015 uh at SummerSlam there's a Ring of Honor show which I believe was either in late 2017 or early 2018
0: right yeah uh, uh,
1: and uh which was really cool and then uh and then there was the all-in show which again coming up on five years of that um I was very much like I'm, I'm proud of those matches obviously um, but I, I will say that I had no ring cardio whatsoever. And I was in the middle of shooting arrow. I wasn't really doing any cardio. So I blew up both times and or all three times, um, even though two of them were tag matches. Um but I would just say that that the the past couple of years on the show, um you know, before I'm trying to learn how to do a coast to coast or like how to do an insiguri or how to springboard or just I was faking it. We mm-hmm. were coming up with sequences like, can you, can Cody set you up for a suplex and can you roll over his back and land on your feet? Yeah, I can do that. Okay, let's do that. Um, whereas now um, I actually understand a little bit better the psychology, how to pace yourself in the ring, um, you know, all of these things. So, you know to that extent and logan paul and bad bunny have taken the quote-unquote celebrity appearances and they've taken what i tried to build on and they've taken it like eight levels higher <laughs> okay so i'm very competitive so now i've got to come back
0: i was gonna Safe say free. any cha- yeah i mean going off that Safe any free. chance we could see you and logan paul or bad bunny wrestlemania 40 booking it right now
1: I mean, look, man. Fantasy booking. I I I'd love to have a mania match. As Cody says all the time, I'm like, I'm one good match away from the Hall of Fame. One good match. Now, I have a you know, I have a different, I have a different standard than like everyone else. Like, if I was an actual, just a professional wrestler, or not, and not sort of an interloping, uh, uh, quote unquote, celebrity, uh, uh, you know, appearance every once in a while, I'd I'd have I'd have much more work to do. But you know. I feel like uh, for that wing of the WWE Hall of Fame, I'm like one good match away, and if that, and a mania match counts, a mania match counts as like ten
0: matches. So we'll see. I was gonna Let's say. say. Y- you say as if there's criteria there for a Hall of Fame induction. They've inducted people that have never even wrestled a match before. So I think you're in pretty good. You're yeah, pretty no, good I know, I,
1: I know. But I'm 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 putting myself in the I'm uh, it's the it's the uh, it's the Snoop Dogg Arnold Schwarzenegger yep. wing of the Hall of Fame.
0: Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, it does. We used to
1: call it the, we used to call it the Donald Trump wing of the Hall of Fame, but we don't much <laughs> anymore
0: love the year man that's fantastic i'm looking forward to the second season of the show this is great stuff hopefully everyone else could check it out as well coming up this summer steven so great talking to me thanks so much for the time i appreciate it
1: thanks Graham. i appreciate it man
0: big thanks to steven for the time it was a lot of fun chatting with him about everything going on in his world right now and i apologize for my audio issues during the interview as well not nearly as clear as like this audio is the reason being i didn't have my microphone with me when i recorded that interview it was i was on the road i didn't have my camera either The quality actually ended up being better than I thought it would be when I listened to the interview back, and I was worried to listen to it back immediately afterward out of fear that it just sounded like shit. It obviously wasn't ideal, and it wasn't great, but I was not legible, but um, audible enough for him to hear my answers and for us to have like an intelligible conversation, so um, I appreciate him bearing with me there, but that's one of the few instances where where I did an interview and I didn't have my camera with me or my microphone, which is why the... Quality wasn't as ideal or, you know, usually is uh, kind of up to standard with what we're doing right now. And you'll notice that on the video front as well when I put up the interview probably tomorrow on the YouTube channel. So check that out when you get a chance. YouTube.com backslash WrestleRant for the video version of that same interview. Now, before we move forward, here with my Raw review from Monday and thoughts on Dynamite from Wednesday, predictions for the Great American Bash coming up on Sunday, did want to bring up two things from last week that we did not get a chance to chat about last week here on the show that I completely forgot about for some reason. Two potential signees for WWE going forward. One being the former AEW star, Brian Pillman Jr. Now, Brian Pillman Jr. recently became a free agent from AEW. I think his contract was up. They opted not to renew it. He hasn't really spoke on it. I'm not sure if it was their decision to not renew his contract, or it might have been a mutual decision. It might have been a case where it was coming up. They didn't want to renew it, but he wasn't going to stay anyway. I would have to imagine that he was going to probably resign, and he, they, they just didn't want to keep him around. They had no plans for him, whatever. Um, Brian Pillman Jr. is an interesting case in that he had been with the company for quite some time. I think he was under actually an MLW deal when they first started using him a few years ago in late 2020, 2021, whatever it might be. He had the whole Varsity Blondes gimmick going with uh, Griff Garrison, that whole tag team thing. They did end up building momentum in 2021 as an actual tag team. and They never really won anything of importance, but they were featured on Dynamite quite a bit during that period. Never really won. Ended up leading to a losing streak in early 2022. They took Julia Hart away from them. And then that was pretty much it. Um, And then they've just been on Dark since then. I think Griff Garrison got hurt. I was hoping Brian Pillman would be used on his own going forward. But they also paired him with Arn Anderson at some point on Dark. And that was pretty much the end of that. So they clearly had no plans to push him on his own. They gave him that very short-lived push. Coming off the episode about his father, Brian Pillman, of Dark Side of the Ring... Um, back in 2021, they gave him a short-lived singles push in the fall of 2021, he faced MJF actually in one of those shows, either in his hometown, or around there, or whatever the case might be, Um, he obviously lost, but he looked good in defeat, and it wasn't exactly a stellar showing, but it was on that Grand Slam show, I think, and then I was always kind of curious why they never really did more with him after that, now I've seen the tweets about his departure from AEW and people making fun of the fact that, oh, you know, they never really did anything with him and whatever, and he was never really that good to begin with and, and whatnot. I mean, he, he's not the best that they have on that roster by any stretch, but I think he's a guy, honestly, and not to just say that he good should go to WWE, I think he's one of those guys that would benefit from having a performance center type run and developing his skills more, whether it be in the ring, on the mic, as a character, charisma-wise, whatever, in NXT. Um, I assume he would go right to NXT TV, as others have. I mean, there's, there's people with far less experience currently on NXT TV and level up than him. So him going right to NXT TV, hopefully keeping the name, I imagine, I mean, you can't guarantee that. I mean, Braun Breaker had his name changed, but that ended up working out, and it was fine. I mean, he acknowledges all aspects of the Steiner family tree anyway, but they gave him a different name. It was just very weird. Uh, Brian Pillman Jr., I would love for him to keep that name. I'm not sure if they would. I mean, I would imagine he probably would reference his father and his family roots and whatnot. They might not want to keep the name. They might want, you know, control of the name or ownership of the name or whatever the case might be. Thankfully, Dragon Lee did not have to change his name. But regardless, I could certainly see him going to NXT. I don't think he was going to get beyond a certain level in AEW. With the deep talent roster that they have, even with Collision coming around and more people getting TV time there, like Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs and Miro, among others, I just didn't see Brian Pillman Jr. getting that type of push there. And he had a nice little run, but it is interesting that they wanted him so bad enough a couple of years ago that, like I said, they were using while he was in MLW. And that was kind of the whole reason why they had a working agreement with MLW at that point, was because... They wanted to use Brian Pillman Jr. And MJF, I believe, who was also under... Was he not in MLW still? In, like, by late 2019. MJF was doing pretty significant stuff in AEW in late 2019. Turning on Cody Rhodes and that whole feud that followed. But I think he was still in MLW, technically, up until early 2020. Up until, like, the pandemic. Up until, like, COVID started. So, um, And the big reason why they were working with MLW at that point was for MJF. And Brian and Brian Pillman Jr., I think among others at that point that they were using, either on TV or on their dark shows or whatever the case might have been. My point being, I'm surprised that they never really ended up doing more with him. Maybe they realized that he needed more seasoning. When I say they, I mean Tony Khan. He obviously makes all the important calls in the company, no shit. Um, he probably realized, listen, the upside here just isn't worth it with the other guys that we already have on the roster. And it just never really materialized. Now, I know they have the Nightmare Factory. That's kind of like their performance center, but not really officially. Uh, I don't know. They've had enough people come out of the Nightmare Factory, like Nick Camarado. People like him, who, again, another case where he actually came from WWE Developmental. So I can't even blame AEW for not doing much with him, because he actually was another case where WWE also did not do anything with Nick Camarado. And he's not bad. But he's been around long enough in AEW and... I mean, I don't know how long he was in WWE... But he's been in AEW long enough now where I just don't give a shit about the guy. I think Brian Pillman Jr. could have been used to a point where he could have been built up to be something at some point. He's still young. He's got a lot of charisma. He's good enough in the ring to where I think he has potential. Um, It probably just was not going to work out in AEW with, again, the deep talent roster that they have. But in NXT, with some more focus in that performance center, kind of fine-tuning those already established skills... Um, I think there's a, there's a shot there that he can be some sort of a star in NXT and potentially beyond. The other potential signing to WWE, and now this one, I have a little bit harder of a... And the, the Brian Pillman stuff, by the way, just on, that, on a quick note, I had seen somewhere that they had no plans of signing him anytime soon. I had seen that they had a tryout. He had a tryout there, maybe per PW Insider. I forgot who exactly reported that. It might have been Fightful. And then Bodyslam.net actually followed up soon after saying that there is a deal in place with Brian for him to sign and that he will be there at some point in the not-too-distant future. Now, they are the same outlet that reported Colby Carino was going to WWE, and they weren't wrong with that. Colby even admitted that he was going to WWE, and then something fell through with his medical background or whatever, and then he had to—they just rescinded the offer, and then he went back to NWA— I'm hoping the same thing doesn't happen to Brian Pilma Jr. So it sounds like Brian Pilma Jr. is a done deal for WWE. This other person, I'm not as convinced by. I mean, I think the guy is great. I'm just not convinced that WWE would actually sign him. That being Nick Aldis, former NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, former Impact World Champion, GFW World Champion, for anyone who counts that as an actual legitimate title from uh, many years ago. Nick Aldis, the former Magnus from TNA. I've been a big fan of his for as long as I've been watching TNA, which has been 15 years at this point. Arriving as part of British Invasion, ended up working his way through the ranks of the tag team stuff with, again, British Invasion, Douglas Williams, Rob Terry, and the later Samoa Joe. That was really what put him on the map about a decade ago was that tag team and then subsequent feud with Samoa Joe. Ended up winning the... uh, He didn't win the Bound for Glory series in 2013, but he did end up going heel... Winning the World Championship, didn't have the best run, but he's a guy that looks like someone that WWE would want to sign. And then for whatever reason, when he left Impact in 2015, it just never really happened. He went to Jeff Jarrett's promotion, he went back to TNA for a short period in 2017, that didn't really work out, went to NWA soon after, became their biggest star, which isn't a very high bar, NWA isn't really seen by a lot of people. But he ended up having a great three-year run. Three-year run as the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Four years, really, if you count 2017. He held the championship initially for a little less than a year and then dropped it to Cody Rhodes at all in that fantastic match. And they had a rematch that people don't remember, which I ended up watching a few years later at their NWA 70, 70 show, maybe? I think it was their NWA 70 show in 2018, which would have been five years ago, um, where Cody got the belt, or he lost the belt, and Nick Aldis got the belt back. And then he was champion from that point from late 2018 to mid 2021 when he lost it to Trevor Murdoch, also at one of those NWA anniversary shows. Um, Nick, all this is great, though. He's been gone from NWA for a little less than a year. And this was never actually made official and was never confirmed. But it seemed like WWE had some sort of a hiring freeze at some point earlier this year that prevented them, or they just didn't want to, sign anyone which is by Colby Carino, again, that might have been a separate issue with his medical stuff, but Colby Carino was reported to go to WWE, that fell through. Vincent and Dutch, it seemed like, of all the people that tried out around that point, between them, Kylie Ray, who was very good, that just didn't work out. They even outright told her, she said, that they just didn't have a spot for her on that roster, which is kind of hard to believe that they just couldn't bring her into NXT at that point, but I digress. Um, Vincent Dutch, Kylie Ray, and Casey Navarro, who is Terrific. I'm honestly surprised that didn't work out. Again, I don't know if he's spoken out publicly about that and what went wrong there and whatever. It just sounds like they just weren't hiring anyone for a good period of time with the whole Endeavor deal happening, Vince McMahon coming back. Now, I think that might be gone, though. Um, if Carlito is indeed signed to return, we, we haven't really talked about this on the show at all, but if Carlito is signed, sealed, and delivered to return to WWE at some point in the near future, then it sounds like whatever hiring freeze they had might be over which would hopefully indicate that a Nick all this, you know, signing by WWE is a possibility. Now, what worries me, though, and that came from PW Insider, a very reliable source. What worries me, though, about the report from about a week and a half ago, this came out right after Slammiversary, when it was reported that he was done with Impact, he had wrapped up his uh, commitments there, it was a very short-term deal, which was encouraging because it kind of seemed like when he went to Impact a couple of months ago, he was only there for a quick cup of coffee to kind of keep himself busy, make a quick paycheck keep his name out there, in case WWE came calling again a couple of months later. It seems like they do have interest in Nick Aldis. Per the report from PW Insider, it's as a producer, as a backstage agent, which makes no fucking sense. Now, Nick Aldis does have a great mind for the business. I think he was in a position of power. I mean, not even think he was. He was in a position of power in the NWA for so long. I don't know if he was producing matches, but I mean, he was a pretty heavily influential guy for a period of time there on the NWA, so he probably has some sort of experience with that sort of stuff, promoting events, maybe putting matches together. In WWE it sounds like he would just be putting matches together. But don't they have enough producers as it is? I mean, when you see these massive brawls break out on WWE TV, you see all the producers spill out near ringside. I think I think Divari's still there, not the not not Arya Divari from AEW, but his, his brother, Sean Divari. I think he ended up getting he was released and now he's back, I don't remember, but um, I'm pretty sure he still works there. They have Adam Pierce, obviously. He started as a producer. Now he's an on air character, but he's also still a producer, I believe. Jason Jordan, P.D. Williams, Chris Park, the former Abyss, among others. I mean, don't they have enough fucking producers? They already fired a bunch a couple of years ago due to COVID. Either bring those people back or just stick with what you have. Nick, all this is not necessary as a producer for WWE. I mean, we've had him on the show here multiple times in the past, in the last eight years, I've had Nick Aldis on the show at least twice, he's a great interview, Um, he's a great talker, he can cut a great promo, some people just don't get it though and that's completely understandable, some people find him boring, I just feel like he fits that WWE mode to a T at a time where they could use more people of that stature, not even in NXT but on the main roster, he is a guy that should be ready for the main roster, good to go, he's not AJ Styles where you call him up and it's like, oh, you know, he's a world renowned performer, you wouldn't get a massive reaction like AJ did at the 2016 Rumble, I'm just saying he's main roster ready from the standpoint that he's already kind of paid his dues. He's been doing this now for 15, 20 years. He doesn't really need to work his way through the system. And he's not old either. I mean, Eli Drake was already well-established within the business when he went to NXT a few years ago, had a nice run there for himself, and then went to the main roster. I mean, he also could have realistically just gone right to the main roster, and he didn't. And Eli Drake, now LA Knight, is a lot, not a lot older, but... Several years older than Nick Aldis. Nick Aldis, I think, is 34, 35, 36. He's really not that old, which is why I'm kind of curious why they want to use him as a producer. Again, he has a great mind for the business, but it's a little too soon for that. Use the guy as a performer while he still has, like, his best years ahead of him. He's still in his prime as a performer in the ring and on the mic and stuff like that. Maybe 10 years down the road, maybe he can dabble in that. But for now, it just seems a little too premature If it's between being a producer and not being there at all, I don't know how interested AEW is. When I spoke to Nick Aldis, we kind of broke news with our first interview four years ago. He had mentioned that he was offered a deal by AEW back in 2019. I don't know if it was to do NWA and AEW, but I think it was kind of an all-or-nothing type deal, and he said, no, he stuck with NWA. Um, I don't know how interested they are now that we've heard rumors about WWE being interested on and off for the last six months. I've heard nothing about AEW wanting Nick Aldis, which is kind of surprising. Tony Khan will sign everyone under the sun. Maybe Nick Aldis saying no four years ago four years ago rubbed him the wrong way. I'm not sure. Maybe he just feels like he has enough people that kind of fit the mold of a Nick Aldis. Then again, it's not like WWE doesn't. They already have Eli Drake. He's a great talker. Um, Grayson Waller. Not... Far from the same character as Nick Aldis, but also a a very good talker. Putting him on SmackDown with, like, the Theories and the Wallers and the Knights, I mean, might be a little overkill. I feel like he'd be a better fit on Raw. And again, I'm not even arguing that he'd be an instant world champion in that company. There's a very good chance he never really gets beyond a certain level, but you won't know unless you try. Uh, Would he be relegated to the main event? I don't think so. I think he's a good enough talent, he dresses like a star, he comes across like a star, I don't know if it's an attitude issue thing, because he's had a reputation in the past for being difficult to work with, specifically an NWA from talent that have left and said that he was like, you know, they didn't want to give that person their release or whatever, and Nick Aldis was the root issue of it, whatever the case might be. I think he is worth bringing in to the main roster um, in the near future, while he still is at the peak of his, again, as a performer, while he's still in his prime, at his peak, Um, to not take that opportunity on their end would be very dumb. Just to immediately assign him to a producer role would be fucking a waste of what he can do, I think. Again, at some point, maybe, but anytime soon would be a waste. And I don't know what the alternative would be. Again, I don't know if AEW is interested. Like, with, with Jay White, Jay White is obviously a subject, not even subjectively, an objectively bigger star than Nick Aldis. Again, he was one of those people where it seemed like he was destined to go to WWE, and it just fell through at the last minute for whatever reason. The Endeavor stuff was happening. Vince had just come back. A lot of uh, confusion, it seemed behind the scenes at WWE. They dropped the ball with that one. Don't drop the ball with Nick Aldis. Sign Nick Aldis. Sign Brian Pillman Jr. to two different deals. I would put Nick Aldis on the main roster right away. I would put Brian Pillman Jr. in NXT. He has a lot more to learn. Nick Aldis is pretty set as far as his skill set goes and uh, everything that he can learn and whatnot. Put him right in the main roster. I think he would do well. I think he would thrive. And just give him a shot. I think it's worth it. So um, hopefully we kind of see how that develops in the weeks to come, and hopefully both end up in WWE in the right roles. Uh, Now we move forward to my Raw review for Monday night. Again, not as good of a show as last week. It was fine for what it was, just not really the most eventful show. Although it was effective in setting forth some stuff, heading into SummerSlam next weekend. We have most of the card announced for the pay-per-view coming up next Saturday, both on the SmackDown side and on the Raw side. Pretty full card, and there still could be one more match to go uh, with Rhea Ripley and Raquel Rodriguez, which has not yet been made official for SummerSlam. For the Raw, I was going to say for the Raw Women's Championship. I got to get out of that habit for the Women's World or for the World Women's Championship. I believe is the proper name of that championship that Rhea Ripley currently holds. Um, that has not been made official yet for that show. There is a chance that ends up on Raw. Not next week, hopefully. That'd be way too soon. Maybe on the Raw after the pay-per-view, which is what they did with Rhea Ripley and Natalya. I wouldn't do that necessarily. I just feel like Rhea missed the last pay-per-view as far as her championship defense. Um, She defended at Night of Champions and at Backlash. but And again, we're getting a WWE Women's Championship match at SummerSlam. But why not have four women's matches? We talked about it last week with Mr. Marceau. Why not have Ronda and Shayna? And then Charlotte, Bianca, Asuka? And Becky and Trish, which again, I don't know if that was made official yet either. We did find out on the show that the match will happen at some point. We just don't know if it's going to happen at SummerSlam. I would assume so. Trish doesn't really work Raw, so I'd be surprised if it happened on Raw. But I would add Rhea and Raquel as well. Is it a barn burner? No, but I just feel like Rhea should be defending her championship on one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year. It's going to be a good enough match. They put heat on Rhea recently. To kind of waste it on Raw, it's a nice attraction for Monday night. For for a Monday night and not this coming Monday night specifically, but I just feel like they should probably do it at SummerSlam. Um, I'm not sure how big the card is currently, whether it be seven matches, eight matches. Some stuff could be kept short. I guess we'll find out. But anyway, that just small tangent there. Uh, we opened the show with Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens interrupting the Judgment Day, setting up the Sami Zayn Dominic Mysterio and NXT North American Championship title defense for later on in the night. Pretty effective stuff here. The Judgment Day, spoiler alert, we're all over Raw this week. Now, and I'm perfectly fine with them. As I've said before, they're a great group. But like I mentioned in Hashtag on Wednesday, WWE's got to be careful, as other people have said. they got to be careful to not overexpose the Judgment Day, which they had with many other stables before where they dominate the show, people get sick of it, and then it runs its course a lot quicker than it should. Raw's a three-hour show, too, so the more of Judgment Day that you feature, the quicker they're going to be overexposed. And they were all over this episode. Opening segment, closing segment, backstage segments, multiple in-ring segments, multiple matches and whatnot. I would not just have them all over the episode just for the sake of doing so. You should probably space it out over the course of a couple of weeks and not just fit everything into one show. And again, risk burning people out on that group. Because they are a great group and I wouldn't want to see that ruined by having them all over the show for no real reason. Um, our first match in the show saw Becky Lynch beat Zoe Stark, which was kind of obvious, earning her the opportunity to face Trish Stratus in a rematch from Night of Champions, assumingly at SummerSlam. Again, I don't know if we got that graphic or not. Maybe we didn't. I missed it. I, the match has got to happen at SummerSlam. Like I said before, Trish does not work Raw usually. I know she wrestled at Money in the Bank, but she doesn't really work Raw matches. She doesn't really wrestle much at all. I mean, she wrestled Raquel in a Money in the Bank qualifier last month, but that was, I think, it. She hasn't really wrestled on Raw otherwise. Um, The match is probably happening there. Becky will win that too. That's fine. I'm ready for this rivalry to kind of wrap up. Um, this was a good match, though. I believe this did mark Zoe's first loss on the main roster since arriving. She's gone undefeated up to this point, which you wouldn't really notice because they haven't really talked about it, which is fine. But she beat Natalia. She beat Nikki Cross, I believe, several weeks ago. Candice LeRae. She beat even Becky a couple of weeks ago. Um, she did lose here, looking good in defeat. Really new th- lo- losing nothing from this performance. And it was enjoyable, so uh, good stuff there. Cody Rhodes addressing Brock Lesnar was really more of the same. Their match is already confirmed for SummerSlam. I was hoping with Cody cutting a promo and Brock here, who was not on the show, I was hoping this would be the segment where they announced the stipulation. Now, I hate to sound like a broken record, but every week here on WrestleRant Radio, Mr. Marceau and I have said they should add a stipulation, this should be the stipulation, blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't look like, unless we get one announced on Raw next week, I know we're getting a trial combat, or tribal combat match, excuse me, with Roman Reigns and Jay Uso. It's kind of funny, of all the matches on that show, I feel like that match does not need a stipulation. Because we haven't seen Roman and Jay. we've seen it before, but not in three years. Rollins and Balor, we just got on the last pay-per-view. Cody and Brock, we got on the last two pay-per-views before that. I don't really think either of those matches should be standard singles matches. Both kind of need stipulations to feel more exciting. They've done well by the Cody and Brock feud, considering that they haven't really explained why Brock wanted to attack Cody in the first place. They never explained that, which was fucking lazy. Um, But beyond that, though, I mean, it's been pretty standard stuff, and they've been effective with how they've been building towards the rematch. I just wish we got more here. Cody's promos are typically great, and they're recurring highly on Raw. My problem is that there wasn't really a lot of substance here because he's really said everything there is to say about Brock Lesnar. The match was already made official, and there's no stipulation, so we can't talk about, oh, I'm going to beat you with a rope, or I'm going to beat you with this, or whatever the fuck. Brock will be back on Raw this week. Maybe they announce it then. It's a little too close to SummerSlam. But you would think, again, if they were going to announce a stipulation, it would be on the show when Brock wasn't there. But apparently not, which is kind of surprising. They are now officially calling Dominic Mysterio, by the way, Dirty Dominic Mysterio, Dirty Dom. And honestly, that's one of the nicknames I don't have an issue with. Big Bronson Reed is just fucking dumb. I'm sorry, that is stupid. But Dirty Dom is kind of funny. Uh, Dominic Mysterio is one of the better parts of Raw each week anyway. And I like it, you know, also playing dirty, cheating to win, stuff like that. It just makes sense. So I don't really have an issue with that nickname uh, personally. But he did defend and successfully defend that NXT North American Championship on the show against Sami Zayn in a quality match. Um, Easily the best Dominic match of the last week between the match with Wesley last week in NXT the Butch title defense on SmackDown last Friday, which I completely forgot Dominic wasn't a fucking SmackDown guy. When I was reviewing that show here on, or not here on YouTube, but on YouTube last week, I completely forgot that he wasn't a SmackDown guy. So in retrospect, I'm thinking, why the fuck was he even on the show? But anyway, of the three matches that Dominic has had in the last week, this was the best one. This was good, and again, should not come as any surprise given who his opponent was and Sami Zayn. Um, They had Kevin Owens attacked on the stage at the end of the match to kind of distract Sami costing him the win, giving Dirty Dominic the successful victory. So it looks like Kevin Owens, per Fifle is legitimately hurt and has a broken rib, I believe. So I don't know what the timetable for that would be for how long he's going to be out for. I would hope they wouldn't relinquish the tag team titles. If they were, I would imagine they probably would, just, would have just given the tag team titles to Dominic and Damian last week. Or was it last week or the week before? I don't remember. But I think it was last week. Whenever they did the title match, you would think they would have just given them the tag team titles. Uh, They did not, so, I mean, maybe he was hurt after that, but it sounds like Kevin Owens is going to be written out for at least a foreseeable future, which is fine if it's not that serious of an injury, puts more heat on Judgment Day for them to attack him on the show, them being the reason why he's out injured makes sense, Um, but him and Sammy, Kevin Owens and Sammy Zayn have been one of the best parts of WWE all year. From the Bloodline stuff to the stuff with Roman Reigns, now the tag team stuff with the Usos and just being the tag team champions, they've had a great run. They really have not cooled off at all. They're still incredibly over and are out there every single week on Raw specifically having excellent matches. So it's hard to complain about the usage of Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens since WrestleMania. Uh, Again, I'm bummed that Owens is going to be out for a little bit, but I'm not sure how long that's going to be, and hopefully he is back soon and he heals quickly. Uh, We had a big Bronson Reed against Tommaso Ciampa in one-on-one action. Bronson Reed was the reason why Chapa lost to The Miz three weeks ago. And then Choppa was the reason why Nakamura lost to Bronson Reed last week. So it's really just a three-way feud. Nakamura and Ricochet interacted backstage, but it kind of, you know, illustrated that it was probably going to be Ricochet in this role instead of Choppa. and they probably would have continued the Ricochet-Nakamura-Bronson Reed dynamic had Ricochet not gotten busy with Logan Paul. Um, but Reed and Ciampa having a really good match here. They got some time. The crowd wasn't really into it until down the stretch, but they worked really hard here. Had a very good match. Bronson Reed winning off a distraction from Nakamura on the ramp. Now, Nakamura, I don't know, got physical with Ciampa. He just distracted him, kind of just being out there. And then Ciampa was an idiot, got distracted, lost the match. Very similar to the finish from the last match. So I probably would have spaced these out a little bit better on the show. But again, uh, Bronson Reed winning was the right call. Champa needs wins too; he just lost to the Miz two weeks ago. Uh, but keeping Bron or Bronson rather protected is a perfectly, uh, you know, acceptable way to go. So maybe we get a triple threat out of this with Ciampa, Reed, and Nakamura. I wouldn't be upset at that. But uh, this was a good match though, and I'm glad they're still protecting Bronson Reed. Dumb nickname at all; they're still protecting Bronson Reed, which is great to see. Uh, I mentioned Rhea Ripley and Raquel Rodriguez probably likely for SummerSlam. Before then, though, we were going to get Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan on the show. Because Liv attacked Rhea Ripley last week, and her kind of brawling with Rhea at ringside was what caused the Judgment Day to lose their tag team title opportunity against Sami and Owens in last week's main event. So they were going to go one-on-one here, but Rhea brutally attacking Liv Morgan before the match could get underway. So it seems like, a lot like it with Kevin Owens, Liv Morgan is currently hurt. And it seems like she might be out for a little bit longer than Kevin Owens. She has a shoulder issue. Now, I don't know if it's the same shoulder that she was out with a couple of weeks ago. Remember, she had to be written out back in May, which is why they relinquished the tag team titles, her and Raquel, because she had um, a shoulder issue. So they had to relinquish the tag team titles. It wasn't as serious as they thought. They came back in June. She was back within three, four weeks. They won the titles. They lost the titles. And now she's injured again. So this would probably be a good time for Liv to get hurt. So Raquel can kind of focus on Rhea one-on-one. They can have that one-on-one feud for the next couple of weeks, months, whatever. And then Liv can be built back as up, uh, built back up as a challenger for Rhea down the road. I said this to Mr. Marceau last week. I would have no issue, honestly, I mean this is just me, with Liv being the one to beat Rhea Ripley. For the sole reason that Liv was the last person to beat Rhea Ripley, on Raw almost a year ago, over a year ago, back in May or June of 2022... I don't think Rhea Ripley has been beaten one-on-one since then, or pinned since then, or whatever the case might be. Um, Not only that, but they were former tag team partners. Rhea turned on her. They were the final two and the first two in this year's Women's Royal Rumble match. They have great chemistry. Now, I know you might want to wait until, like, Becky's... I mean, I personally... This is just me. Bianca's also a possibility. They could do Rhea Ripley and Bianca at WrestleMania. They teased it on the Raw after WrestleMania this year. It seems like Bianca might be busy with whatever's going on in that women's championship picture on that show, so I wouldn't bank on that being the match. And it would also require, I would assume, with both women being on different shows, for one to win the Rumble and go to the other show. I don't want either of them winning the Rumble again this soon. Rhea Ripley just won it this past year, and then Bianca won it back in 2021 only two years ago. So I wouldn't want either of them winning the Rumble anyway. So I wouldn't really count Bianca as a likely opponent for Rhea Ripley next year at WrestleMania. Becky and Rhea might be the WrestleMania match. You could keep the belt on Rhea t- until then. I just don't think every run needs to be like a year long. I mean, Bailey already had a year long reign with that same championship that Rhea Ripley holds right now. Now, that was when it was the SmackDown Women's Championship, but it carries the same lineage. Bailey already had a year long run. Bianca just had a year long run as Women's Champion. Becky had a year long run as Women's Champion a few years ago don't even count the men. I mean, I mean, don't even get me started on the men and all the year-long title runs they've had in the last couple of months and years and whatnot. And that's fine, but at the same time, it would be nice if we got, like, a short run. And Liv did have a short run last year as the women's champion on SmackDown, but it wasn't really overly eventful. She was a victim of the change in management with Vince kind of losing power, Triple H taking over. They didn't really know what the fuck to do with her. The Ronda Rousey feud sucked and uh, hopefully now she's kind of back on the ascent here. She's still over with the audience. Despite how she's been booked in the last year, she's still very much over with the audience. I would give her the championship. I'm not saying that she should beat Rhea Ripley, but I also, like I said, would not be upset at it. I just think it makes sense given their story, and I'd rather, like I said, would rather have Liv be the one to beat Rhea for that championship than Becky Lynch. Now, I know Becky hasn't been champion since Mania of last year, so that's even longer than when Liv was champion. Um, it's been a longer period since Becky was champion than Liv, but I just feel like we've seen Becky in that spot for so long now, on and off for the last five, six, seven, eight years that, uh, really since she became SmackDown Women's Champion in 2016, that it should be Liv's time. I mean, Liv's been on the main roster forever. I mean, she's been on the main roster for six, seven years now, but she deserves a real run as Women's Champion. So, I'm just saying, I just think it would be a fine route to take if they gave the championship to Liv, if only for a month or two, and they put it right back on Rhea. I mean, that wouldn't be as long as when she was champion last year. She held it from early July to early October. But that run was terrible, through no fault of her own. Again, it was the management change, it was the booking. She and Ronda just didn't really have a lot of great chemistry. Her and Rhea, we know have great chemistry. The story makes sense, and people are still behind Liv. So, honestly, again, I'm not advocating personally, I'm not saying that Liv should be the one to beat Rhea Ripley for the championship, but I'm just saying I wouldn't be opposed to it, and it's something to keep an eye out for because after this attack, Liv should come back as a fucking bat out of hell, wanting revenge, going the, right the fuck after Rhea Ripley, not wasting any time with anything else. New side of Liv Morgan, more serious, more you know, fed up with her bullshit and whatnot, going right after Rhea Ripley. I like Raquel. Raquel's not fucking interesting. She's not really over on her own, Again, not really her fault. They haven't really done much with her to kind of showcase her personality, or her in-ring ability, or anything. She really hasn't had a lot of memorable moments on the main roster so far. She's been a champion like four or five fucking times with the tag team titles, but she hasn't really done a lot um, otherwise as far as you know being built up as a singles competitor. So her and Rhea is a SummerSlam match, not the biggest attraction, but it works for now. Like I've said, I just think it serves nicely to kind of as a setup feud, as a setup storyline. For Rhea and Liv, at some point, whenever Liv is ready to come back and she's ready to return and clear to compete again. So, just something to keep an eye out for in a couple months from now, whenever Liv comes back. Uh, Logan Paul and Ricochet made their match official for SummerSlam. Not as good of a segment as a couple of weeks ago. I thought it was fine. Logan Paul officially accepting the challenge. Ricochet's mic work wasn't great, but it was okay. So, that was that. Damian Priest beating Apollo Crews. I've mentioned a lot lately in my main event reviews that Apollo Crews got called right back up to the main roster, only to be relegated to main event again, which is exactly where he was a year ago before he went back to NXT, almost exactly one year ago. He was on Raw that one week a few months ago against Dominic, and he lost, and that was it. I think he was in a battle royal to determine the number one contender to the Intercontinental Championship that same month. Beyond that stuff, we haven't really seen him on Raw at all. So him being back here was nice. But he lost in a matter of minutes to Damian Priest. The right role for Cruz on this show. I'm not saying he should have beaten Damian Priest, but... It is just... Like, why even bother calling him back up? Did Shawn Michaels say, Listen, we've done all that we can with Apollo Cruz. Take him back. We don't want him. Like, I don't know. It's just weird. Like, Apollo, any goodwill that he built up through his NXT run being built back up. New sides of his character. The whole Vision crap was stupid. But, I mean... At least they gave him consistent television time on Tuesdays. He has gotten none of that on Monday. They should have just... I, I, I can't even say they should have drafted him to SmackDown because Cameron Grimes has also gotten almost no television time on Fridays. So I can't even say, oh, he should be on SmackDown. I can't even say that. Um, just interesting. I just. It, it is interesting that they called him up to do exactly what he was doing before and kind of negates the whole reason why he went to NXT in the first place. Now, it did benefit the other talent to be working with them. People like Carmelo and Braun Breaker and Grayson Waller. They all benefited from facing Cruz and kind of working with him, gaining some skills and experience. Cruz didn't really seemingly gain anything. you think that he would go back to the main roster, hopefully being taken a little bit more seriously, maybe a challenger of the month for Gunter. He didn't even get that. He just went right back to main event after losing to Dominic Mysterio a couple of months ago. Disappointing, but not surprised. Drew McIntyre and Gunter also making their match official for SummerSlam for the Intercontinental Championship. That's going to be a fucking killer match. We got McIntyre and Ludwig Kaiser, Ludwig, Ludwig Kaiser, whatever the fuck his name is, Ludwig Kaiser, and an impromptu match on the show, fine for what it was, resulting in a McIntyre win. Um, I stand by what I've said. I would not have Drew beat Gunter for that championship. I wouldn't be upset at it. It would be. It would make for a cool moment. I just don't think Drew needs to be the one to take that title from Gunther. And I don't think they should break the reign or give him his first loss or whatever until he breaks the record in a fucking month from now. He breaks the honky-tonk man's record in like five weeks. So why not just wait? I am fearing that that Gunter is going to lose at SummerSlam. And again, it's going to make for a nice moment when he does. But I just feel like you're just so close to having him break the record. And he probably is one of the best intercontinental champions they've ever had anyway. So why not have him break the record at this point? What does it even matter? The main event segment saw Seth Rollins and Finn Balor sign the contract for their World Heavyweight Championship match coming up at SummerSlam next weekend. Pretty standard stuff here, although I did appreciate the intensity from both men kind of bringing back the bad blood from seven years ago. Also at SummerSlam, Rollins ending his run at a day long, blah, blah, blah. Um, This was good stuff. The Judgment Day, again, standing tall over Rollins. Sami Zayn attempted to make the save. He was also laid out by the Judgment Day. Effective stuff. I'm looking forward to the match, but again, like I said with Cody and Brock earlier in the Raw review, Why not add a stipulation? I know the threat of Damian maybe cashing in on Rollins, on Balor after it's over, during the match even as a triple threat, and the Judgment Day being back on cohesive terms and whatnot, uh, back as a cohesive unit rather, should be the intrigue, and I understand that. The problem is that we've seen Balor and Rollins straight up in a singles match as recently as a month ago, for starters. But second of all, we've seen it so often in the last seven years since they had their last match, or since they had their first match at SummerSlam 2016, that it's just hard to care. It's hard to care in that we, we've seen it so many times, we've seen Rollins beat Balor so many times, <clears throat> that it's not really as much of an attraction as I think they think it is. It's not closing the show, obviously, that's going to be Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. They don't need a blockbuster match for the World Heavyweight Championship, I would rather be Rollins and Balor straight up than having Priest get involved because again, not get involved but rather than do it like a triple threat. He's Mr. Money in the Bank. I mean, I know they did that with Rollins and Cena and Brock at Rumble 2015 where Rollins was already Mr. Money in the Bank. He was given a title shot anyway which was fucking dumb and it led to one of the best triple threat matches in company history but it was silly to give the guy a world title opportunity if he already has a guaranteed title opportunity waiting in the wings. I just wouldn't do that. I just think adding a stipulation would help and give the match more, uh, you know, generate some more interest and excitement for the match. Same thing with Cody and Brock. Overall, though, I thought this was a solid show. Not as enjoyable as last week. I kind of fast forwarded through a lot of the parts of it. Not like the, not every segment, but like commercials. And I I don't really watch Raw Live anymore. I typically just kind of watch it either on delay or later that night or early the next day or whatever the case might be. And sometimes it's easier to get through the show than other times, and this was one of those shows where just not a lot happened. And again, at least they set the stage nicely for SummerSlam, making matches official, and they have a pretty full card. We'll see if they add Rhea and Raquel to the card coming up on the Go Home show, the Go Home edition of Raw coming up on Monday. Now we jump to Dynamite from Wednesday. Again, another case where I did not enjoy the show as much as last week. Now, again, I was there last week for Blood and Guts, But Blood and Guts was a strong show overall, not even including the main event, just, you know, in addition to the main event and everything else they did on that show last week, the MJF and Cole stuff. It was just a very good addition of Dynamite on the whole. This was a fine show on Wednesday, but just felt like a lot of filler, personally. But my top takeaway coming out of the show, though, is that it seems like Tony Khan is making more of a conscious effort to kind of incorporate more storytelling into the show. Now, I'm not going to be one of those people that says that AEW didn't have any storytelling before and it's been all matches for years now. I mean, it's mostly matches, but they have told stories. It just seems like with this episode specifically, when there wasn't really a lot of note going on in the ring, there were three significant storyline progressions, or three progression of three significant storylines, I should say, going on this show that kind of kept my attention. One, with the Jericho Appreciation Society stuff. Two, with the Adam Cole and MJF pairing and getting Roderick Strong involved and the build of that AEW World Tag Team Championship match and Saturday's Collision, which I will be at, by the way. I'm going to be at that show on Saturday. We'll probably possibly talk about it here on Wrestle Radio next week. It might be old news by then, but I will have a full on onset report from that show coming up on Sunday, I would imagine. Uh, So keep an eye out for that. But, yeah, that was another angle that they furthered on the show. And the third one being what they're doing now with A.R. Fox, Swerve Strickland, Darby Allen, and Nick Wayne. Now, it doesn't have, like, any personal deep-rooted issues, but the progression of the storyline of these four in the last couple of weeks has been really well done, and it gives us a tag team match to look forward to at some point. So it kind of happened with the opener here. Orange Cassidy successfully defending, again, the AEW International Championship, and a really good opener against A.R. Fox. A.R. Fox, since they signed him, has gotten a lot of title shots, For the Ring of Honor World Television Championship, the Ring of Honor World Six-Man Tag Team Titles, the AEW World Trios Championships, and now the International Championship. He has lost every fucking one. If you give someone enough title shots and they lose every single time, you're basically a loser at that point. I know he beat Shane Taylor in the Death Before Dishonored Brace show, which was a very good show, by the way. Um, Kind of old news at this point, which is why I'm not doing, uh, doing a review of it on the show. Although Athena and Willow Nightingale was an excellent main event, and Claudio and Pac for the Ring of Honor World Championship was also great. I know AR Fox beat Shane Taylor on that zero hour pre-show, but still, I mean, he never really wins whenever it matters most, and this was no exception, which is why I like the move to turn him heel. Him losing here was no surprise. Him turning heel afterward wasn't a surprise. You can kind of tell exactly where this was going after he confronted Darby Allen, or Darby Allen rather confronted him after the match was over, telling him that what he did was embarrassing. He attacked Orange Cassidy, and Darby told AR Fox that his actions were embarrassing. So when you knew that Darby was facing Swerve Strickland later on in the show, what I was hoping would happen exactly happened, in that Darby Allen lost the Swerve with help from AR Fox, who helped Swerve win. Now anyone who has watched Lucha Underground, and know AR Fox and Swerve had a match on Dynamite earlier this year, a great match, and it was acknowledged then. But these two were partners in Lucha many years ago, as Dante Fox and Killshot. I think they were brothers in Storyline. So now they've reunited in AEW. AR Fox is now a member of Mogul Affiliates. Uh, or Mogul Embassy, rather. Mogul Affiliates was is a dead brand. The Mogul Embassy is like the new merging of the two fucking factions, whatever. Because they fire the Tattoo Faced Lizard guy, and they also fought fire... I, I think, actually, Parker Bordeaux is still there. He's not any good, but I'm pretty sure he's still there. Especially with Dark not being a thing, his days might be numbered in AEW. But anyway, um, AR Fox joining them. Again, the group doesn't really mean that much for him joining them to really mean that much either, but I like the move if it gets AR Fox in the show more consistently more television time and leads to a swerve in AR Fox against Darby and Nick Wayne matchup then that's great, it gives Nick Wayne something to do, keeps Darby Allen busy for right now, which is great, he's not really doing a whole lot, he's kind of splitting his time actually between the TNT title picture and this stuff on Dynamite, so Darby Allen is getting a ton of TV time right now I don't know where the fuck Sting is Sting doesn't uh, have any real role in this in this storyline. I thought he'd be competing at All In. And that was another thing, too, with this episode at AEW. I know I'm all over the place. I apologize. This is what happens when Mr. Marceau is not here to join me. There was no real build on this show for All In. There are a few matches that we might expect to happen, but no matches have been announced yet. And the, and the show's in a month. Next week, we have four Dynamites left, and four collisions as well, obviously. But four Dynamites left before All In, which will be their... By far, highest attended event in AEW history. It's going to be a pretty big deal in London. They didn't even mention that fucking show on this show. You would never even know they have a pay-per-view coming up in a month, let alone a pay-per-view a week after that. Now, I know Darby, I think, is challenging Luchasaurus for the TNT title on that All Out show. He'll probably be at All In as well. But him and Luchasaurus is happening at All Out. So it seems like Darby's got his feud set. He's going to face Luchasaurus at All Out... And then at All-In, he's probably gonna, Maybe this tag team match is safe for All-In. Maybe it's going to be Nick Wayne and Darby against Swerve and Air Fox at All-In. If they don't do it there, then I don't know what the fuck they did. Maybe a six-man with Brian Cage and Sting also involved. I have no clue. But I do like the consistent television time that Darby, Fox, now Fox, Swerve especially, and Nick Wayne have gotten in recent weeks. I think it's nice. Uh, we heard from Jack Perry on the show, the new FTW champion. Hook did not come out, but rather Jerry Lynn. ECW legend. Now, Jack Perry was out there running down Taz and the former holders of the FTW Championship and the ECW roster, and Jerry Lynn came out. Now, Jerry Lynn's a producer in AEW. He's a backstage hand. He's also a pretty consistent uh, person on Ring of Honor television now. He's like one of their authority figures over there, which is kind of random. Him, um, what's his name? Fucking... I don't remember his name. Malcolm Bivens from from WWE. What's his name in AEW? I don't even remember now, but... Stokely Hathaway. Stokely Hathaway. I did that without looking it up, by the way. Stokely Hathaway and Tony Khan himself. Why, why the fuck Tony Khan is on Ring of Honor TV? I have no idea. I know he owns the thing legitimately. Does he need to be an on-air authority figure? The answer is no. Nor does he need to be an on-air authority figure for AEW. But anyway, so Jack Perry calling out Jerry Lynn. And it seems like they're going to have another, another face-to-face next week. I don't know if it's going to be a fight. Jerry Lynn can't compete. He hasn't wrestled a match in 10 years. He has neck issues. I would rather Jack Perry. I like this new heel Jack Perry. His promos have improved already significantly. I would rather him just trash the title. I've said this before. We talked about it last week. That's got to be the next step of the storyline where he just comes out and throws the thing in the fucking trash. Hook looking to get the belt back. Like, who cares? Hook has outgrown that thing. The title has outlived its existence. It's necessary, you know, necessary, whatever the word would be. It's reason for being on the show has expired. That belt should be done away with, and Jack Perry should just disrespect it by throwing it into the trash and destroying it or whatever. There's no reason for Hook to want to get it back. Hulk should want to avenge the fact that Perry defended or rather damaged and destroyed the championship. Not the fact that Perry's holding it. Maybe we'll get to that at some point, but I was a little disappointed that didn't happen here. We had Pack and Gravity in a pretty random match. I'm not really sure why this match happened, obviously. Other than the obvious fact that they probably just did it for the meme of like, oh, Neville was the man that Gravity forgot, and now he's facing Gravity. Like, who gives a shit? It was a good match. Pac one Gets him back on track following two losses last week on Blood and Guts and on, um, at Ring of Honor, the at the Death Before Honor pay-per-view. He faced Claudia over the Ring of Honor World Championship and lost. So this got him back in the win column. Um, good match, but really not much more beyond that. We had Swerve Strickland and Allen, I mentioned that already. Britt Baker beating Taya Valkyrie in a not-so-good match. Um, they got some time, they got like 7-8 minutes, which, ooh, a lot of time, I guess, but... I mean, it just didn't really mean anything. Taya has lost a lot since coming to AEW. She's lost to Tony Storm and Jade twice and Chris Statlander, and now this match as well, like, it's hard to take her seriously. She's a good worker. She's a better worker than Britt, who is good, but... <clears throat> I, I, I don't know what happened on that road to or uh, yeah, the road to Valhalla, which is what she calls her finisher. On that spot where Taya attempted it, Baker like fell anyway. Or Taya dropped her. I don't know what the fuck happened, but it looked terrible. And the match, the rest of the match wasn't really all that good, regardless. Um, but it ended up being fine. Baker wins again. Where do you go from here? It feels like the women's division is on ice right now. They're doing some cool stuff in Ring of Honor. They just had the Women's Cup in AEW. Willow was not on this show to kind of capitalize off her performance on that Death Before Dishonor show. Like, what, what are we doing here with uh, with Willow Nightingale and with, um, you know, Sky Blue has been on TV quite a bit lately. What are we doing with the, win, with the AEW Women's World Championship? I would imagine they're just waiting until Jamie Hader is good to come back and they're going to do Jamie Hader and Tony Storm again for like a third or fourth time at that all-in show with the championship, but they shouldn't be waiting for Jamie Hayter. They should have other interesting stories in the meantime, and they just don't. The outcast are dominating the division right now, but beyond that, what else is really going on? The answer is nothing, it seems like. It seems like we're just having matches for the sake of matches, and that's about it. The main event on this show, the Lucha Bros, taking on and beating the best friends in Blackpool Combat Club is John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli in a three-way tag team match. Um, a good match. Again, not really sure why this needed to happen. I know it stemmed from the brawl that broke out at Death Before Dishonor involving all these men. But, like, they set up a triple threat for next week with Trent Barretta, um, Pentagon junior Pentagon PentaL0M, whatever his name is now, and John Moxley in an AEW Originals match. That's what they're calling it. Because next week is the 200th edition of Dynamite. And that's great, but, like, what does that match even fucking mean? Like, Moxley, Trent Beretta, who's barely on the show, and if he is, he doesn't mean anything. And Pentagon, like... Will it be a good match? Yeah. Does it really mean anything? No, it just kind of feels like a placeholder program for all involved. The best friends mean absolutely nothing at this point. Um, BCC, it was weird. They got a main event match on this show, and yet the Elite, who won Blood and Guts last week, we didn't even hear from them. So, I don't know. I, I don't need the Elite all over Dynamite. I'm not saying that, but I just thought it was weird. They won the match, and we did not hear from them here on this show. We did not see them. I thought that was odd. The match was good, though. That set up the triple threat for next week, like I mentioned. I just don't really know what any of that is supposed to mean. Now we move into my quick predictions real quickly for a Great American Bash coming up on Sunday. They have seven matches on the card, actually. Well, no, six. I'm sorry. They have uh, seven if you include the pre-show, which they are doing this time. They had a pre-show match for the Stand and Deliver show, which was also, I think, an eight-person tag team match um, back in April. They did not do a pre-show match when they went to Battleground in May, but they're doing one here. It's going to be Dragon Lee, Nathan Frazier, Ulyssa Leone, and Valentina Farois taking on the metaphor consisting of Noam Dar, Wara Jacara Jakara Jackson, and Lash Legend. I really don't care who wins here. Uh, they're feuding over the Heritage Cup Championship, which again, who gives a shit? Um, I would probably just have the babyfaces go over. The metaphor just forms, so they probably will win. Uh, I, I say, pro- I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I'll just go with the babyface team of Dragon Lee, Frazier, Leone, and Feroz. On the actual show, the NXT North American Championship defended not with Ali and Wesley anymore. It's going to be a triple threat with dirty Dominic Mysterio defending against both Wesley and Mustafa Ali in a triple threat now. They just put the belt on Dominic, so I fear that they're doing a triple threat because they're going to have Wesley pin Ali to win the championship back. I just think that'd be a fucking waste. Now, they did the championship some good by giving it some exposure on Raw and SmackDown this past week, and that's great. But why end the experiment there? Why put it right back on Wesley when Dominic can continue to defend it on the main roster and also split his time between the main roster and NXT? I think they know that keeping Dominic on the show and other main roster stars like Rhea Ripley, among others, will continue to boost ratings for NXT and give it more exposure and give people more of an incentive to tune in and kind of get exposure to the newer talents. Uh, Keep Dominic Mysterio on NXT with the championship as well as the main roster. I would have Dominic dirty Dominic Mysterio win here. Dirty Dom. I think he will win, and I think he should win. You can give Wesley the championship back at some point. It won't really mean anything for him to win the championship back after a week. Keep him in chase mode a little bit longer, have him beat Dominic down the road, and have it mean something. Dominic hasn't really lost a lot in the last number of months. He lost to Ray at WrestleMania and Cody at Money in the Bank. He doesn't lose a lot of singles matches these days. And this wouldn't be a singles match. I just feel like if you give the belt right back to, uh, not Ali, but Wesley here, I feel like it's a case of where if he pins Ali, what does he really gain? He gains a championship back that he had before. It was kind of a fucking waste, and you don't really elevate Wesley at all because he pins Ali and not Dirty Dom. So I'd have Dirty Dominic Mysterio retain here and keep the feud going between him and Wesley. Tiffany Stratton defending the NXT Women's Championship against The Hale in a submission match. So this is a rematch from the Gold Rush show a couple of weeks ago, back in late May, early, or I think it was late June, actually, about a month ago where Stratton won the match, but she had evidently, it was pretty clear, she had tapped to Thea Hale when the referee wasn't looking. So they built to a rematch, and I'm glad they did. I haven't really been the biggest Chase U fan in the last couple of years, but they've gotten over at a high level. Thea Hale is very popular. She's a great underdog. I would not have her end Tiffany's run here, but she should come close. I don't know what submission Tiffany's going to use to win. If she cheats to win, I'm not sure. She just won the championship two months ago. I would not take the title off of her here, but this should be a good match. Uh, They don't do submission matches all that often in NXT or just in WWE in general. So I am curious to see how this goes. I think Thea Hale will look in defeat, come up short. Tiffany's still your champion. NXT Tag Team Titles on the line. Gallus, Mark Coffey, and Wolfgang taking on defending against the families Tony D'Angelo and Channing Stacks Lorenzo. The buildup with, like, Tony D'Angelo going to jail and Lorenzo beating Joe Coffey to get another fucking shot. Like, it was just bizarre. The fact that Tony D'Angelo's prison sentence was on the line in a match is like the most WWE thing I've ever heard. Um, But listen, I'm hoping the family win here. I think Gallus are a good team. They just haven't really been overly exciting. They've also beaten every team that NXT has. They've beaten the Dyad. They've beaten um, the Creed Brothers. They've beaten a lot of teams. They even beat the family, actually, at the Stand and Deliver show, but not in a straight-up match. I just don't know what other teams there are for them to defend against. Uh, babyface teams, that is. I would have Tony and in, in, in Stacks win the titles here. Tony has not won any championship gold in NXT so far. He's gone for the NXT North American title a couple times, lost every time. He's even gone for the tag team titles. I think they should win the championships here. I thought Gallus would lose it at a Battleground. They did not. I do think we are getting the championship changing hands on this show. Roxanne Perez, uh, Roxanne Perez, rather easy for me to say. Uh, taking on Blair Davenport in a Weapons Wild match. Now, how similar, or rather unsimilar, whatever the word might be, how different this is going to be from the Weapons, uh, whatever, the Weaponized Cage match that, what was it, uh, Gigi Dolan and GC Jane had like a month ago. I mean, that was literally a month or two ago. To go back to the whole Weapons thing so soon after in another women's match seems a little um, unoriginal to me. But I like the fact they gave the match stipulation and the fact they're even on the show. It's cool that we're getting two women's matches on this show, and actually three if you include the pre-show. But anyway, um, this should be a good match. Their first match was good. Blair Davenport is quite good. She won their first match. In an ideal world, I would have Blair Davenport pick up a second straight win over Roxanne and continue to build her up. I do think that they're going to give Roxanne the win here, and that's fine. But if Roxanne's on her way out of the brand, which I'm not sure if she is or not, she should lose here 2-0, and you know, go 0-2 against Blair Davenport. I'm not confident that's the case, though. I think and Perez wins, and that's fine. I just think Blair Davenport winning would be a pleasant surprise. Uh, Gable Stevenson actually making his in-ring debut on the show, which I was not expecting. They added it to the show last minute on Tuesday's episode against Baron Corbin. So this is an interesting case in that they're in the process of rebuilding Baron Corbin right now. This feels like it came out of fucking nowhere, because they had Gable Steveson on the show a couple of weeks ago with Eddie Thorpe, and you thought that would be it. There were also rumors that he might be going back to like, a wrestling career or whatever and come back to WWE down the road. That might have just been like stuff they put out intentionally to make you think that he wasn't staying in NXT, I'm not sure, because the whole segment on Tuesday was that, uh, oh, what's his decision going to be? It seems like he's sticking with NXT for the foreseeable future anyway. But, like, they haven't really had him on the show a whole lot, and they just added it to the show at the last minute. And Baron Corbin has been getting the vignette treatment for weeks now. Why? Did they not have any other heels they could put Stevenson in the ring with? Like, I just thought that was weird. Um, I don't know how good the match is going to be. This is going to be a very interesting matchup. I just think having Corbin be rebuilt and repackaged and then having him fucking lose within a matter of weeks is just weird. And I just wouldn't do that. But it seems like that's what's going to happen. He's going to lose here to Gable Stevenson. Uh, and and I would just be shocked if Gable Stevenson lost in his debut match for NXT against Baron Corbin of all people, but like I said, I am curious to see how the match shakes out, and then the main event, Carmelo Hayes defending the NXT Championship against Ilya Dragunov, this should be a great match the build is kind of lacked, with NXT kind of focused on Judgment Day right now among other stuff, Um, the build of this match has kind of suffered, it also came to like, came together at the last minute as well Ilya just beat Braun Breaker in a number one contenders match like two weeks ago so it was a very slap together matchup. Um, but I am looking forward to it. I don't think Dragunov takes the championship here. Carmelo's only been champion for a few months. If Carmelo's headed to the main roster, which is a very much a possibility, he interacted with Bobby Lashley last week on SmackDown, so it's possible Hayes gets the call-up and they give the belt to Dragonoff. I mean, Dragonoff could also just as, easily, just as easily go to the main roster and I think do well, hopefully, to mid-card level. I, at least I would like to think so. Uh, I'm not sure if that happens here where he takes the championship. But then Carmelo Hayes holds on to it, retains the title. And I've seen some people say, could Trick Williams turn heel here or at another point? It is possible. I could see a scenario maybe where, like Carmelo came out to save Trick on Tuesday. But maybe Trick Williams spins that and says, listen, I did not need you to fight my fight for me. And they have uh, some issues and whatnot. Maybe Trick cost them the championship. That's their big you know, shocker to close the match. Dragunov becomes champion, and then Williams and Hayes have a non-title feud. I don't think if, if they have a championship feud, I don't think Williams wins. I think it's more likely they have a non-title feud. That's only if they go in that direction. I'm not you know, positive that they are, but I'm just saying that was kind of like a small vibe of what I got on Tuesday with Williams kind of doing his own thing against his better judgment and against Hayes' own advice. Uh, we'll see what they do, but I'm looking forward to the match. I do think Carmelo Hayes walks out still NXT champion. And those are my predictions for the Great American Bash coming up on Sunday night. Looking forward to the show. And we have SummerSlam coming up next weekend, which we have a lot to talk about there with Mr. Marceau when he returns to the show next weekend, probably going up either on Friday or Saturday, the day of SummerSlam, an on report from Detroit. We've done a lot of on-the-road editions of WrestleRant Radio in the last year between, uh, you know, I've done some in mass with Mr. Marceau, but also in the last year we went to SummerSlam last year, did it on-site there in, where were we last year? Nashville. We did a show in uh, you know uh, Canada and Montreal for Elimination Chamber earlier this year. And we're going to be back in uh, at SummerSlam Weekend, this time in Detroit next weekend, and do an on-site show for uh, SummerSlam Preview Prediction Show coming up on the show next week, so keep an eye out for that. No Thursday episode, but probably going up, like I said, either on Friday or Saturday. New episodes of the show every single week. Can't say every single Thursday, because they're not always on Thursdays. Um, on WrestleRant.com, WrestleRantRadio.com iTunes, Stitcher, which I think is going away, by the way. No more Stitcher after, I think, late, late August or whatever, so um, I'll have to stop promoting Stitcher after like late August, but you can still catch it on there for now. iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Google Podcast, Podbean. You can also catch us on Amazon Music and Pandora. Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. Never miss new episodes every single week. Have an awesome one, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into my solo edition of Wrestle Rant Radio this week. Thanks to Stephen ML for the time. Check out the video version of that interview going up probably tomorrow on the YouTube channel, so check it out when it drops over at youtube.com/wrestle rant. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road.